and you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and joining me on the podcast today is Roddy Brown. Hi. And Mary Graham Hunter. Hello. And we're here to talk about, or oh my gosh, we just got done talking about romance novels. We just got done talking about all the romance novels, almost. But we covered covered a lot. I came in here sort of thinking that I was playing devil's advocate, but also unfortunately actually being devil's advocate of the person who doesn't really read romance novels and has uh, outdated uh, perceptions of what they are. And boy, did I get schooled. Did I not get schooled? You too? <laughs> we were nice about I it. I like to think it was a gentle schooling, yeah. but I, I do agree it was a schooling. Yes, yes, it very much was. I was just, it was an odyssey. On I was, I was just in, I am in the audience with you today listening. These, these two put on a masterclass. But that's important. I think that people need to hear someone who is skeptical Mm -hmm. or cynical about a genre and not necessarily defensive of their skepticism or cynicism, but like just go through the journey of them coming to see the light of something that they were unsure about. Yeah, I mean, so many of us went through a similar journey. I did. Yes. So why would I look down my nose at you? Absolutely. About something that, yeah, I was like, yeah, I was there six years ago. This is a podcast no one can see. You can only hear it. But both Roddy and Mary Graham watched scales fall from my eyes. So great. (laughs) But I, I should note that, you know, we are in partnership with the Ferndale Project and we, we have a book club that we meet monthly and the book that we're reading this month is a romance novel. And what I was particularly excited to do this episode for is that there were lots of people at last month's book club when I announced the next book club, they were like, a romance novel? That tone, you know mm-hmm. that tone that you, mm-hmm. the two of you have heard? Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping a lot of them tune in and they get schooled with me too, so. <laughs> Gently scold. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a come to the light kind of schooling. Yeah. It's like we don't want to turn you off. We we want you in the ranks yes. so that we have more people right. yes. to conduct gentle schoolings on why you should read romance novels. Because the point of these books at the end of the day is to like leave people feeling happy. Yep. And I don't feel like that's something that we necessarily need to resist, especially yep. right now. Yeah, I feel like I everybody needs a little noticed. extra happiness. <laughs> we Golly, I could use some joy, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, we will uh, start the episode properly. We will get to joy. We'll get to feelings. We'll get to all of that. And we're going to um, talk at first uh, pre my enlightenment where I open things up, I believe, with Fabio. Here's our chat. that we should first of all talk about what kind of romance novels we want to talk about because folks might think that we're talking about the the 90s paperbacks with Fabio on the cover and that's not certainly not what we're talking about here today unless we are because that would be a surprise to me that is not what I am here to talk about no I actually have not read any of those because (laughs) I was a child (laughs) um but yeah I I think that this this is a genre that that fans of it feel like they need to defend. Yes, don't you think? And yes. and I guess I'd love for, to hear your sides of it. Okay. Said fans of this novel, <laughs> this genre. Well, I will absolutely fight for romance novels. Like, yes. That's I, great. Yeah. You'll fight for love. <laughs> yes, but specifically happily ever afters, Jeff. Yeah. That, okay. Here's the thing <laughs> that I'll just drop on the table. Yes. Here's what I'm going to drop on the table. And then you can all, you can both fight me about it. Okay. Sometimes I'll pick up a romance novel and I'll say, 
they're both staring at me. You guys can't see that. They're both staring at me. I can't finish this sentence. And I'll say, and I'll say, what's the point? Because I know it winds up with a happy ending. That is the point, Chef. <laughs> that's the entire, that's the point. So maybe this is like a, a good segue to talk about how I started reading romance novels. I'd love to hear it. Let's uh, go into that. And so I am not here to discuss perhaps sort of the the 90s stereotypical but i Nor am here we. i am here sort of to defend quote unquote the bodice ripper because yes. yes okay so because i started reading romance novels at the end of my freshman year of college okay. and it was because i had just finished my second semester of finals my okay. brain felt like it had run a marathon and i was very i was just so tired and i thought to myself i want a book that uh, that is safe mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. that i can just enjoy sure and i had come across a list on book riot of like a, a list of feminist romance authors and i was like interesting that's a thing like i didn't realize that was a thing i definitely had an idea about like mm-hmm. oh these these mass make market paperback bodice ripper type books but I recognized uh, one of the names, Sarah McLean, because I had read her. She has one YA novel that mm. I had read and just loved. And so mm. I was like, oh, well, OK, I loved that book, which is like mostly about kissing. It's just a YA novel. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'll try like one of her adult romance novels. And like I started it at dinner time, and then I finished it the next morning before breakfast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and she she writes like the classic like regency historical kind of like high heat mass market paperbacks that get talked about as quote unquote trashy but i was like this is so much fun Mm -hmm. and and it was like the whole point was that i knew they were going to get together so all of the fun comes from how okay and like is the author going to make me believe it Mm -hmm. because sometimes you read a romance and and they get together and you're like (laughs) fake (laughs) i don't believe that that is true and and so that's you know that's like a a romance that doesn't work like they don't all necessarily work Mm -hmm. but i do not want the stress of going in and being like what's gonna sure what's gonna happen like they're gonna smooch at the end they're gonna smooch at the end which is officially the title of this episode (laughs) Also, knowing where it ends does not make the journey any less interesting. No. Because just like other genres, like fantasy, Mm -hmm. to be fair, we know where a lot of fantasy novels are going to end. We know the ring is going in the mountain. Exactly. But it's not entirely about the ring falling into the pit of lava. It's about the journey and the separate journeys it takes to get there. I also had a similar experience post-college reading romance books Mm -hmm. because after I graduated, I went to a school where I did the Western classics in chronological order. So I was reading a lot of quote-unquote important books, not unimportant books. And it was challenging and it was a lot. And I did fine, but I was very fatigued in terms of reading by the time I was done. And I felt like I didn't know how to read for enjoyment anymore. And then my best friends were like, you want to go to this bookstore? It's called The Ribbed Bodice, and it's owned by two sisters because I am originally from Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. And they were like, and it sells primarily romance books. And I was like, sure, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then I walked in and Angel sang, and it was this beacon of like bright, beautiful light raining 
upon me and I saw so many romance books mm -hmm. of so many different types because I too was just like, oh yeah, they're just, you know, Fabio. I'm picturing but, red velvet, saxophones playing, <laughs> no, rose petals falling. Actually just like really nice wooden bookshelves and nice. like just, it was, it was great. Nice. And then I picked up a couple of books, one of which was A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole. And going in the show notes. I never looked back. Nice. And that kind of like cured my uh, inability to read. Yeah. And then I was able to get back into other genres that I had previously enjoyed, like fantasy and real serious family drama fiction and things like that. But it was romance novels that cured me. So they're special. I, we should put that on a t-shirt. Romance novels cured me. Romance oh novels God. cured like, me. I think that you two are showing me that it can it can be an antidote to cynicism, perhaps. Yes. I certainly... Because I'm the cynic who's like, oh, she met so-and-so on page 50, and I I bet he's he's the suitor. I wonder if by page 300 they'll be dancing and uh, in a ballroom or whatever, but, you know, oh, they, they, they didn't have a meet-cute. Oh they, <laughs> oh, they got off to a rough start. I wonder if this is... Sometimes I do that in a romance. But I'm, a, but I'm a cynic. <laughs> and I know you say that, though, but there's something about like a well-structured romance. So one of my all-time favorite romance authors is K.J. Charles. Uh, and she, I think, is just this absolute master of structure. And it has a lot to do with that she was an editor for 20 years before, I think, before she even started writing. And... So it's not that I find her books predictable at all, but like I feel like I'm in such safe hands because I start reading her plots and I'm like, she knows exactly what's happening and nice. it's it's going to make sense and it's just going to be really satisfying. Uh, Roddy, I'm glad that you brought up the gateway of like the ripped bodice as like the place that enabled you because right. my my enabling place was the library <laughs> and because I was I was um I was like, OK, I mean. I'm gonna try this new genre and I can try it completely like risk-free because I, I had a Detroit library card, still do, and they've got a massive digital collection for mm -hmm. romance. And so like I had my little Kindle Paperwhite. I was like, I can just go in and like shop for books for free in my pajamas. Everyone, please ask yes. your libraries about their digital collections. Yes. This is my this is my plea to you. It will make your life better. But because like so many romance novels come in series, mm -hmm. like it was so easy. It's like, oh, well, I liked this this one book by Sarah McLean. It's the first in a four book series. I had the rest of the series read by the end of the week. Yeah, I love romance series yes. because they are just like, remember that character that said hello to this one character in that book? Well, here's their story. Sequel bait. Exactly. And you don't have to read them sequentially. Nope. Um, and they're wonderful. And... Some of my favorite romance series are written by Beverly Jenkins. Yes. Beverly Jenkins. Why does that name sound familiar? Because, because she's, she's one of the greats. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, okay. Let okay. me tell you about Beverly Jenkins. Jessica. She, I love history. Born I've in Detroit, we should this. note. Yes. Yes. I believe she she's still local. local. Yes, That's she awesome. is. She writes amazing amazing historicals and then in every single one of her books she will like tell you about her process of research and how she just added certain things into the story based off of that research and why she writes the way she does and it's amazing and she's wonderful and i love her and i just i came in here with an agenda to push 
Beverly Jenkins as much as possible. That's because excellent. I adore her. So. And these are some excellent book covers. Her book just, covers are fantastic. They are so good. And since we have opened that door, you came with your agenda to tell people about Beverly Jenkins, which is a good and true agenda. My agenda is to start a fight about romance book covers. Okay. Um, okay. Because so. we we well, there's there's a, there's a trend going around. There is you'll, a trend. You'll, going around you'll, and you'll see it in bookstores and libraries you sure will and you will see uh usually the the joke is dude where's my shirt and it will be a <laughs> collection of romance novels and that's a that's a trope that's a trope of a, of a gent uh prominently uh displaying pectorals anyway uh continue with your defense see what's funny is that that is not the trend i was thinking of at all uh-oh I am thinking of the kind of pivot to illustrated covers trend. Oh, oh, uh, yep. We can move away from the the ripped bodice style novels. I think this is well. This should is, we, Jeff? Well, I mean, we? I I could I could continue talking about shirtless Fabio. <laughs> no, this is actually a troubling trend to me. Um, for Wait, the shirtless dudes or the new like very animated looks. The new. Okay, to be clear, I like a lot of the illustrated co- covers. There are some great there illustrated great covers ones. out this there. This is quick, one of them. Quick shout out to Casey McQuiston. Yes. With yes. red, white, and royal blue. And uh, I think One Last Stop is an even better illustrated Oh my god, cover. One Last Stop oh has god. a fantastic... It's a quick shout out back. to Helen Huang. Oh yep. my gosh, yes. Yep. Okay. Quick so, shout out to Telly Hibbert. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Stop naming my favorite authors. Fabio. <sighs> this is the thing. Colin Firth. Okay. There is a kind of... Um, how do I want to put this? It's as if they're trying very hard hard to distance themselves yes. from the traditional mass market dude wears my shirt covers. And so they're pivoting towards these illustrated covers that are a little bit more palatable, a little more friendly to look at. And I'm not always here for it. I'm not here for it because I find it very difficult to... Like a cover is supposed to telegraph certain things about the book Mm -hmm. to me. And I have a very hard time gauging heat level. I have a very hard time gauging tone when everything is illustrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take something like Alexis Hall's like Rosalind Palmer Takes the Cake, which Mm -hmm. is a book I did enjoy very much. Mm -hmm. There is just that there are ways in which that is like a gut punch of a book. Mm -hmm. And and again, very enjoyable. I didn't feel like the tone matched the kind of cartoony bake-off style cover sure and whereas if you look at something like um like joanna shoop's uptown girls trilogy has kind of the classic historical they're not quite clinch covers but sort of that i just adore like i think the colors are gorgeous i think that tells you a lot about you are getting this classic 350 page Mm -hmm. you know historical tropey yes. type looks, of book that looks you classic. know who also has really great covers like this stacy reed's books she also writes historicals uh fantastic covers going on there yeah oh there yeah. we go oh those are beautiful. fantastic oh yeah i know it's exactly what's going on for exactly. example i'm gonna put some examples on our website so that folks can see the stark difference because already i i am made a believer really, just really. by the aesthetic yeah. <laughs> exactly it's so good exactly um and i think that there are like there are some authors like cat sebastian for example mm-hmm. who is another of my like top three top tier and she does uh queer historical romance which is like mm-hmm. my ultimate um 
And she, uh, her first books are sort of the classic, like, Avon covers, but make it gay. And then now she's writing, like, mass marker trade paperbacks that are getting really lovely illustrated, like, Queer Principles of Kit Webb, Perfect Mm -hmm. Crimes of Marion Hayes. Like, those are covers that I think sell the historical setting really well Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the tone. Sure. Um, But I think that... I just, particularly with contemporaries, I find that the illustration trend very yes. frustrating. You don't know what you're going to get. As a matter of fact, I'm glad that you brought up TikTok because yeah. um, there are some very, very, very spicy novels that are very popular on TikTok, which is great for those authors because it's bringing them notoriety. It's getting their books back on shelves or maybe on shelves that they weren't previously that are now getting illustrated covers where you have no idea what you're getting into. And that's also a matter of, you know, trade paperback versus mass market. And also, in my opinion, it's a way of kind of sanitizing these books a little bit to try to make them more appealing. As though there's something to be ashamed of. Exactly. Because I'm definitely someone like... I, I love reading like Joanna Shoup's book in, in public because I'm like, say something to me. Mm, right. Like, nice. oh, I'm on the bus. Yeah. Like, do you have an opinion? Sure. You know, yeah. um, in part because like, I don't think that that's a thing to be like ashamed of reading right. or to like ah. apologize for reading. So, ah. so I'm, I like the covers that are sort of like out there. <laughs> right. Well, I think that it's worth noting from my perspective is that romance took a bit of a hit during the 90s because mm-hmm. I'm coming at it with that whole early 90s Fabio stuff. And then we had the the wave of rom-com movies, mm-hmm. which became a whole thing. And then you had that whole sub-genre Hallmark Lifetime romance movies. Mm-hmm. And then we had Titanic. Uh, so I think that romance was, as I don't know, it is seen as something, and maybe it is uh, usually coming. I'll just put myself on the hot seat. Maybe it is coming from like the straight white cisgender dude who's just not comfortable in his own skin and has insecurities and he's like you know what i mean no that's fair. i don't know if it's like I no think, that makes sense and i think that's a, a good point about the chronology because it sounds like you and i started reading romance around the same time yes. and by the time we did i think that there was already I don't want to say like a shift because I think a lot mm-hmm. of people, I mean, like Beverly Jenkins has been writing romance for a long time a and like has like time. always been here. Um, so I, I don't want to like negate the the folks who like are like, hi, yeah, we've always been here. We've always been doing the cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, I hadn't, I hadn't I for- thought about that. I forgot about another can of worms to open. Oh, yeah. That may have caused problems here. It's it's called Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, I just opened it. I just opened it and I put it on the table. That's another. That's a whole other thing. That's, that's just a lot of heavy sighing about it that. It is book. because, because there's. Like, hmm. Here's the thing. <laughs> it's it's it's. It grew out of Twilight fanfic, isn't exactly. that the true story? Out of it grew out of Twilight fan. So, <laughs> dear listeners, you can't see Roddy and I just I know, like you, staring into the middle. I didn't distance. even plan on pulling out that wild. Card. I think that my my sort of opinion there is like. Fifty Shades of Grey did not invent, like, kink romance or erotic romance or BDSM romance. It didn't even do it well. And it didn't do it well. So, like, there's already erotic romance out there. Go read better erotic romance. Yeah, and you guys don't have to to solve it it or defend it. I'm just saying it was another symptom of, like, it taking a step back. That's a good point. The thing about that was, too, that 
I don't want to sound like I'm necessarily complimenting those books, but because of how popular they were, because of how unabashed women were about reading it, that did kind of like worth noting yeah it's worth noting because i was just like i was in high school when that came out and i would see on the bus Mm -hmm. (laughs) both classmates and you know older grown women reading that book openly and loving it and going to see the movies and things like that and so while i don't particularly find it well done i do to an extent respect what it did oh yeah there's Um, the value to the way in which it drew like women particularly talking about desire into the public eye. Yeah. Um, and I hope that we are like leaps and bounds yeah. of of more nuance <laughs> into that discussion now. Heck yeah. Um because yeah. I I think that's worth noting that that I've completely forgot about that factor of it. It did feel like there was a fan base that was saying, Yes, I am reading this. Almost in that same like go ahead and say something exactly kind of yeah. that's kind of cool yeah. yeah and i will say um and i think you were kind of getting into this mary graham and this is going back um to something right before you mentioned 50 shades of gray which is that while we have had our giants in the field like beverly jenkins i'm just gonna compliment her throughout this entire mm-hmm. podcast who have been there doing the work for a very long time the romance genre has grown to be far more diverse, yes. not just in the backgrounds of the authors, the characters, but also, you know, it's not just cisgendered people sure. writing romances yeah. anymore. Sure. Um, and it's it's actually quite wonderful. Yeah. And that also is kind of a huge deal um, in terms of these things for me, because you have authors like, for example, Alicia Rye, who yes. wrote The Right Swipe, um, who is also hilarious on TikTok. Yes, she's also quite like she's <laughs> quite an excellent funny. at her job and also really great. Nice. Yes. Her series, um I've read two of the three and I really 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 enjoyed them. Nice. Um of course all of the other uh, Courtney Milan. I was just about to bring up Courtney Milan cuz I was going to say one of the things that I think helps romance be successful in its sort of diversifying functions is that independent publishers and yes independently published authors self-published authors there's so much high quality self-published work happening in romance that allows people to like not be beholden to big five publishers saying like oh this won't sell well watch me sell it and get to keep all the profits Mm -hmm. and courtney milan in particular used to write for harlequin um and i've i've read the books that she published with harlequin i think they're fantastic and she has been self-published for an extremely long time and there's something her agent is so fantastic that it's really easy to get her self-published stuff through overdrive which is how i first read it Mm -hmm. and so just like watching what she does with romance as like a story form like she recently oh what's the one the duke who didn't yeah is this is this book that she wrote that's like you think that there's going to be that like someone's been lying the whole time and there's Mm -hmm. this big deception you think there's going to be this big moment of betrayal and then there just isn't and and it's not a letdown it's there's there's conflict and tension that comes from other parts of the book Mm -hmm. right and she also just her emotional stakes are just wallop me and there's this fantastic the first book i read by her is the suffragette scandal which is like on my keeper shelf forever and ever and and has this amazing um 
moment where the the heroine is a suffragist and and the hero is is like you're fighting so hard for to you know gain an inch and and okay let's say women get the vote no one's ever gonna elect a woman as the prime minister if they Mm -hmm. do they're never gonna take her seriously and uh and the heroine says i'm i'm not trying to empty the tims with a thimble i'm trying to water a garden right and like like i'm just gonna i'm gonna scream it's so good and I don't remember how I got here because I started thinking about Courtney Milan and now I can't stop talking. <laughs> well, but <laughs> another book of hers where she subverts in a way a trope is called Trade Me. Yes. And essentially that book is a billionaire trades place with someone who is not a billionaire because you know, I <laughs> I love romance books and I also like to make fun of them sometimes sure. and some of their tropes. Everybody talks about, oh, yeah, there's always a billionaire or a duke, duke or um, a, a cowboy. Yes. Because um, cowboys are a huge deal. Um, and I love it when authors are just like, yeah, I write in this genre. We have these built in tropes. Let me just have fun with it and do something. And I mean, that concept isn't new. It's not like she invented it, but the way she writes it, the way she writes these characters to have such, you know, emotional intelligence while they are also working through very serious, you know, things in their personal lives and battling with internal issues. And it was just wonderful. And it was Mm -hmm. so unexpected because I think that was the first thing I read by her. I remember her talking about writing Trade Me because she was like, I will only be able to write a billionaire if I can spend the whole book making fun of him, (laughs) which I respect so much because I have noticed in in my years of of reading romance that I have become and because I mostly read historical uh which which often traffics with a lot of rich people I've gotten very picky <laughs> um like I I now am bored rather easily by the like there's a million dukes everywhere and everyone's at like all max <laughs> type of plot so I really enjoy books where rich people have to be at least a little bit embarrassed about it um or I also the only kind of um the lost air plot yes um is Cat Sebastian has a lost air plot uh where the guy is like oh my god the woman I love is never gonna love me now that I'm a peer like <laughs> she's a she's a radical like she runs she runs a magazine that's constantly on the verge of her getting arrested. Like, she's never going to love me if I'm a duke. I eat that up. Yeah. <laughs> I do really like um, some modern royalty mm-hmm. books. Well, Alyssa Cole. Are, yes. You, Mary Graham knew exactly where I was going with this. Alyssa Cole and her Reluctant Royal series. I mentioned that A Princess in Theory was the book that um, cured my inability to read. And I have read every single one of the books including the novellas which are also great and also include lgbt plus romances and they're just so good and the covers look once again why would you have an illustrated cover and these are contemporaries and what i love is that you get some of the best things about like a classic historic cover like right. the colors the poses you get those with these contemporaries and they just again so good. they tell me so much about what that book is gonna be like and, it's and so good. i mean talk about what what can't Alyssa cole do because her loyal league series yes which is this trilogy set in the civil war aka you would th- one of the un- most unromantic you would think periods of history hands down think. ever Alyssa cole like the genius she is just writes these 
beautifully researched, gorgeous, gorgeously written. Like, I love all the characters. Like, yeah, I just. Yeah, no, I because let me tell you, as a person, once again, who likes history, the idea of a romance written during the Civil War actually makes me break out in hives. Like, it stresses (laughs) me out so much. And when I saw that she wrote them, it was after I read these books and I kind of looked at it. And I was just like, okay, I really like her, but I'm not sure. So I like walked away from them, you know, metaphorically Mm -hmm. and like went back like maybe. And I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to try one and see how I feel like I feel about it. And oh, my God, it was so good. And I was just like, okay. And the first two have black heroines and white heroes. So she's playing on like extra hard level. Yes. I think. She is. And, And, And yet. And yet. She she did a really good job. And I was just like, thank you for yeah. showing me that this can be done because I'm not going to lie. I'll probably never read another romance set during that time period if she's not writing yeah. it. Unless, obviously, Beverly Jenkins, who writes a ton during that time yeah. period. But, you know, I have and a level of trust for her. Also a lot of reconstruction. Her. Yes. Which is like reconstruction. Like, I don't know if this is... I've got sort of a, a wish list of we've got enough Victorian romances, yes. we've got enough Regencies. Like, what else do we want to see? I mean, I I know that Beverly Jenkins has written a ton in the Reconstruction, and I I need to go read like all of them. But I think that we should just even more of that. Yes, would be sweet. One hundred percent. The Regency is like this sweet spot where you get swords and guns, and so people like to play with that. But the thing about me is that I'm like. Let's go all the way mm-hmm. back yeah. to just swords. Yeah. <laughs> well, or let's where focus on these other time are periods. My so I studied a lot of medieval literature yes. in college and and medieval romances used to be a big thing in like the 80s and the 90s like somewhat but like but a, a, but a very specific not particularly accurate idea of the middle ages. Exactly. And now the only person I can think of who comes to mind who writes like really well researched medieval romance is Elizabeth Kingston. And so more of that, please. Also, I feel like, not to keep it in Europe, but like mm-hmm. early modern era, like yes. where everyone, Shakespeare sells. I don't know. <laughs> don't write about Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. But it's non-romances that people even, call romances, Ju- Romeo and Juliet. It's not. Looking yeah. at you. So, um, <laughs> but just a quick aside, because I feel like, Regency and like historical romances tended to be the sort of safe zone. Like a lot of those, the Fabio covers, and obviously we've talked about that, but that's what makes this more modern romance movement so great Mm -hmm. is that there are so many fantastic contemporary romances written, like Talia Hibbert. I'm also going to throw Rebecca Weatherspoon in there. Mm -hmm. Her books are fantastic. Okay, okay. Like if I find out she wrote something, I am going to run. Mm. to her books by the way that is a lesbian romance right there treasure by rebecca weatherspoon yes i love she's so good she does not limit herself to any sort of romantic conventions at all she's just like i got this idea i am going to go with it Mm -hmm. so i think it goes without saying that anyone who says they're unsure about romance novels or claims they do not like romance novels has not read a romance novel recently or hasn't read the right or one. Just like, or just hasn't read the right Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, it's a huge genre. Yeah. It's just enormous. And, I mean, we haven't touched 
paranormals we haven't touched. No. Like there are all of these sub genres. Yes. And and like there there are subgenres that like I completely pass over. Like yes. I don't read inspirationals. I you know, it's <laughs> yeah. but that some people that's what they love and sure. that's all they read and that's totally great. And it's such a huge it's such a huge field and I love that I think there's there's something for everyone and I'm particularly loving that like as someone who reads a lot of queer romances that's not that's it's not like you have like all of romance right. and then over here in this corner like the queer ones no. like I'm reading right now A Marvelous Light by Freya Marsk which is uh, a historical fantasy queer romance and which that is like amazing. it checks off every it's like Edwardian there's magic it. it's Oh all God. of all of my catnip. <laughs> yeah. Um, KJ Charles also has a like a Victorian fantasy uh, romance series, and it's I just think it's so exciting because you'd think that would be so niche, and I guess in a way it is, but it's not so niche that there aren't other people who love right. it. Right. And it's not. It's no longer indie publishers. It does seem like more bigger publishing houses are actually putting that on the shelves. Yeah, Marvelous Light got a lot of push and press and that's another that's an illustrated cover that i think is successful at telegraphing i'll say this real quick when the illustrated cover phenomena started maybe five years ago thereabouts maybe six maybe yeah i think it's sort of circa jasmine guillory with the wedding date yes it did as a you know on the sidelines someone who has a pedestrian conception of what a romance novel is it did make me look at it and say oh are romance novels like different now <laughs> <laughs> um it did it did make me sit up and take notice and make me think like oh maybe i'll yeah no I, maybe i'll read one now I, I don't know why so it, it worked even though i'm kind of giving myself as an example of the general right and i think that they can be a good gateway for people who yeah. are still you know a little shy about reading them in public because i'm gonna be honest with you i was reading romance novels um when i was way too young Mm -hmm. to be reading them uh and this is a very common phenomenon i I lost any sort of shame that i had because of that exposure but at the same time it's just like it makes me it's it can be good and it's also like we said kind of like a sanitization thing, but mm-hmm. it can go either way. Yeah. That's the problem. I also find it makes it harder for my brain to hold on to like distinctions between books. Yes. Like I don't, That was you the know, one thing I was going to worry about. Yeah. Is that it's, I. Like one, if you just breeze by with your just eyeballs real quick, you're going to yeah. think that they might be all the same author. Right. Which I, is the risk. Also, um, as someone who like, does enjoy an independent bookstore mm-hmm. find that the offerings the romance offerings of of many an independent bookstore tend to skew towards that trade paperback illustrated which means that they skew contemporary yes. which is a very small subset of the genre and which is often not what i'm looking for right and just going back to something from before that can kind of run into a problem because, you know, for example, indie authors will more than likely not have access to these 
illustrated covers. Mm-hmm. Um, they would probably use a lot of the same, you know, stock models or images over and over again. Like the cover for this book, I've seen used in several different ads. And every time I see it, I'm just like, wait, that's the cover from Rafe. What is that doing here? And I'm like, oh, meanwhile, it's fine, but it's just like, I don't want these authors, a lot of these indie authors who are doing a lot of the work to diversify this genre getting overlooked because you're right. And so far as people who like to bash romance novels, there tends to actually be a romance novel for every single person. You just have to know where to find it. And if you are already apprehensive about the genre, it's not easy to just walk into a bookstore or even a library and be able to find those things. You have to like actually search for them mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, like, so for here, exam- for example, we don't genrefy. Our, we don't separate out our romance novels from our general fiction collection. We have started to. Which well, I know we have the stickers, yes. the which stickers is very, now. very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it, I've, I've been to libraries in the past where like, I mean, there is a separate section that is just wall-to-wall mass market paperbacks. And on the one hand, I'm like, that's great. Like, romance is a serious genre. It belongs with, like, the rest of fiction. Like, Mm -hmm. it should all be taken very seriously. And then some days I have days where I'm like, where are my jewel-toned mass market paperbacks? Right. With the dukes on the cover that I don't have to look too hard for. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's also, there's a an ease of discoverability. Right. And Mm -hmm. also the fact that there's, so many layers to this. I didn't know we were going to talk about covers for this long, but the more I think it about it, it does feel like it's more worthy it of an entire episode unto itself. Like <laughs> Actually, we could do romance part two next time. Because romance novels, I, I hate to say it this way, but I can't think of a better way to articulate it. The fact that so many romance novels are now being printed as trade is showing that they are willing to take the genre more seriously, these publishers, in a way, because mass markets, I, I love them. Um, they can be a pain, but I do have an affection for them when it comes specifically to romance novels because they're just these short, squat, little thick books that are much cheaper than, they're about $10 it's cheaper than the trade paperbacks. Affordable. And they're so affordable. Right. And now, and that's a, been a big comfort. Is yes. like I've had points in my life where I'm like, kind of, you know, even when I'm kind of broke, yeah. No matter what happens on a bad day, I could always afford a mass market paperback exactly. romance novel. Yeah, I remember going yeah. to the grocery store with my mom, and she would just grab one of those, like I called them penny. I don't know how much they actually cost, but you Between know, they're five the, and ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like you, she just snatch one off the shelf and toss it in next to our cereal, like and it's it would just be like, item. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was just like I know that in the times because I have a bunch of siblings, that was like a little added comfort to her, where yeah. it's just like, okay, I can get this like yeah. cheap, feel good book sure. and feed my children. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and yeah. I don't want I don't want people to lose that mm-hmm. too in this shift of like respectability with romance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because like why why does it have to be respectable? Like I think there is something. I think it's the tension between you know like their books about feelings, yes. is which is why I think sometimes why they get derided a little bit. Mm-hmm. Which is like what does that say? Mm-hmm. Like it's okay to care about feelings, um, and and simultaneously. Yeah, the respectability thing. It's, yeah. it's sort of like, oh, okay, well, publishing. Now that now that um that people that you've decided it can make even more money, right? Because romance has always been profitable. It's so profitable. To be completely honest with you, it always outsells 
Um, but I mean, just to like put on this hat, it also has a lot to do with who it specifically is believed to cater to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, oh, well, it's not these big serious books. These are just books that women like to read for right. fun or whatever. Nobody really cares that much. They're all silly and it's all a shirtless Scottish man holding a sword. Nobody right. cares. Right. So it's easy to over, I don't know, it's easy to overlook just how much they can be and how much they are right. to a lot of people because they're just women's books. There are quotation marks being made for those who cannot see. Yeah, and I think that that also ties in with something because I, I did like uh, kind of a deep dive on like think pieces about romance novel trend, like cover <laughs> sure. trends and things like that. And there's um, Kelly Jensen on Book Riot in like 2019 has an article about romance novel cover trends and Maya Nunnally has an article about the aging down of women readers and how um interesting yes so this was a problem when red white and royal blue first came out is that it would get shelved in the YA section oh my goodness um it is not a YA book it is an adult romance novel and part of the problem is that Casey McQuiston is widely perceived as a woman she's Mm -hmm. not she's non-binary but but people were like, oh, here is this feminine presenting person and here is this like gay yeah. love story and it's got an illustrated cover. Are the it's protagonists why... teenagers or are they no, in their 20s? No, they're in their grown. 20s. Goodness. They're grown. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> and, and so, and that's also. Here you go, teens. Yeah. Then that's yeah. The thing. And it's not that I think like teenagers couldn't enjoy that book, but it's not like YA is a marketing category in publishing and it is not marketed under that category. And so, but I also see that happen with fantasy, like, you know, women, women, women's fantasy writing getting shelved lower. And it's like, no, that's an adult novel. And the thing about that is that there tends to be, oh my goodness, now we're going to get into like my publishing pet peeves, which is that their new adult would be between YA and you know the quote unquote very serious sure. adult literary literary fiction. Sure. Does that mean Most, like maybe college age? Um, college. I would say even to like art my age mid, or like sure. mid mid to late twenties yeah, things sure. like that, early thirties even. And there is kind of like a dearth of new adult fiction in general so when it's written it tends to get tossed into YA yeah also a lot of the new adult books that I feel I've read have been romance books and they are romance books to be clear but that also leads into the whole like oh let's age this down because I don't feel like publishers most bookstores um not grouping libraries into this because we have a built-in system anyway but they don't know what to do with these books. Sure. So they're just like, if we put it as a YA book, it will sell more because YA sells. And a lot of adults read good. YA. And so a adults lot of will adults. find this book if exactly. we put it there. Interesting. But the problem with that is that you are putting an adult romance book in front of children. That is um, complicated. Yes. Yeah. Complicated. Because I also openly admit, just to be clear, I was in the eighth grade sure. when I read <laughs> Gina Walters darkest night which is a fantasy romance which is a straight up chili pepper emoji spicy it is so spicy (laughs) should not have been reading that well i mean it was spicy at the time i've read spicier books now but i'm an adult so it doesn't matter um but 
To be fair, it was mass market. It had our dude wears your shirt cover. And I went into the romance section, like mm -hmm. the precocious child I was, and I snatched it off the shelf and I bought it because they were not going to stop me. <laughs> so, but I had to go out of my way to get that there. And you had to have some idea of what you were getting into. Exactly. And nobody, no one handed that to you and said, here you go, eighth grade Roddy, here is a book for an eighth grader. Right. And the thing about that is, so I don't believe in necessarily like censoring these books from kids or like saying, oh, kids absolutely can't read that because that would be hypocritical. But at the same time, I don't think it's fair to the genre nor to the authors to try to group their or genre their books in a way that is not what they are explicitly stating they are writing for they're mm -hmm. like i'm writing an adult romance book and then someone takes it and goes oh i'm just going to put this in ya now that's not cool no so that's that's where i find the issue just make the kids go to the romance section <laughs> again it, it is coming back to that cover issue because the cover art trends lean into vibrant and sometimes pastel-y colors and right. that, and you do see that lots of YA books have that that color aesthetic yes so yes and I can think of several books. the boundary blurs there yes yeah. I wanted to say how much I loved Mary Graham's comment about these books being about feelings yes, yes. I think that completely shifted my whole perspective on it I just it, it because when I pick up a book and I'm like uh oh this is someone oh this is just about someone checking in with their own emotional health yes and this is about someone figuring out what they want out of life. Yeah. And that's the book. And, and getting the it. Book. That is why the and happily yes. ever after is important. It's yes. not just that they figure out what they want from life. It's that you get to see them get it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And yes. Okay, and I sorry. think that's why I don't know if we want to talk about like our favorite tropes or like things that really work for us. But I, I think that my there are a lot of romances out there with what I sort of like to call banana pants plots, which oh. like it's, you know, it's it's the Regency and here are five different things happening at the right. same time. And oh, like yeah. secretly you yes. wonder if this was based on an episode of Leverage and like <laughs> things like that, which, OK, there's there's a place for that. But all of my favorite romance novels, all of my favorite authors are writing very like historically grounded books without any of that banana pants stuff yes. that's about people having feelings hundreds of years ago. Yes. <laughs> and which we don't hear about in the actual history books. No, we just don't. Just to start with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once again, I I you have to keep a tally of how many times I've mentioned her name in this podcast at this point. 5. Beverly Jenkins does that so well because she's writing these historical romances but she's writing them almost not just but almost entirely about black people in these times and they're having feelings and they're going through their external issues they're sometimes internal issues and they are navigating both of those things while also giving a full romantic experience right she's so good at this so good it's about <laughs> dignity yes because there's dignity to that right and yes. and and like thinking about I, I same same deal with with queer romances as well is that often when you're talking about these romances set in you know 19th century europe england especially is horrifically homophobic and like yes. so yeah you're dealing with 
with those external pressures and these people still get to be happy and that's completely plausible actually and and just like between that and like other um oh rose Lerner is another one of my favorites and i love her because she writes about like working class people (laughs) i think there need to be way more like working class romances in, in histories yes um in historicals and and yeah it's just about yeah like dignity like these people people like this were here and they had feelings and they lived their lives and they wanted to be happy yeah yeah. Now I'm going to get all like choked up. And I don't know if like I, I wanted to put this on the table. I don't know because you had said that you, when you were reading these in college, you would you would have implied that you your your brain needed a break. Mm-hmm. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know whether or not escapism is a bad word. No. Oh, I don't think it is. At I don't all. think so at all. No, especially. Oh, gosh. OK. Okay. I read Be- Beverly Jenkins. No, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, she was one of them. Now, since you brought her up, I have to talk about her again. You did this to yourself. Sex. During 2020, because I'm not going to say during the pandemic, because we're still in one. Um, I read, I went through a reading slump. Mm-hmm. And then I picked up, since you had to mention it, this book by Beverly Jenkins called Captured. Mm-hmm. I read the book in a couple of hours. I literally just could not put it down. I was so enthralled Mm -hmm. i finished the book i heavily sighed and then i flipped back to the first page and started reading it all over again that is how strongly i felt about that book and that is how bad i needed that Mm -hmm. book during that moment like 2020 was a huge romance reading year for me because of that i can can relate in may of 2020 I was reading about a book a day and mm-hmm. and it was me rereading KJ Charles's entire backlist because she's my in case of emergency break glass author <laughs> um and and in particular her society of gentlemen trilogy which is about ra- a bunch of radicals basically in the regency in regency london like a time that notoriously had sedition acts and mm-hmm. like cracked down on absolutely all political resistance yes. and like the the massacre at peterloo is a pivotal part of one of those books and i was like this is it both both escapism and also a way for me to directly cope with what is happening right right now yes and especially once again as a person who loves history it's just like you said it's nice to have history with feelings mm-hmm. because so many so many in it there is a marked change in this with a lot of modernly written history books where authors are starting to insert or extrapolate the feelings of the people that they are writing about to like humanize them a little bit more but it tends to be very dry mm-hmm. it tends to be very detached and i think that that also helps with queer romances because one of the things that history historians love to do and just people who talk about classics in general it's just like they were just such good friends they were the best of friends they were so close you know just or they'll say (laughs) or they'll say we can't say as though that's definitive right whereas i a queer person i'm like yes you can't say (laughs) Mm -hmm. exactly you know that's yes that's not the the ace you think it is yes right, exactly <laughs> yes and like romance novels don't do that they they create a space in which you don't need to have that sort of what's the word i'm looking neutrality you mm-hmm. don't have to be neutral with mm-hmm. romance novels mm-hmm. you can lean into an idea you can lean into something and like mary graham said you can see it as a possibility as a plausible possibility and that's so hopeful and it's so good to like get to read and see things like that 
it's a, it seems like it's a good sign that we're getting out of being unable to to talk about those things. Yes, because, because I I don't think that we the the notion of of queer romance novels. That's, oh yeah, that's there, like that's yeah. maybe a fifteen year ago thing. Not at even. Best. Not even. Not even. Because yeah, Cat Sebastian's been writing, I think, since 2016, 2015 or oh, to be and 90s. clear, not yeah. a thing in uh, traditionally traditional. Published. Once again, yes. we have to give our indie authors their due because they have been doing the work for a very long time. That's true. Yeah. Um, but no, you're right in terms yeah. of like traditional publishing. Yeah. No, I bring not up, even I bring up Kat Sebastian because The Soldier's Scoundrel is this very, not frothy, but like it's a classic Avon Regency romance with two men. Mm-hmm. And it's the first it's the first book I can think of that is that is like that. And mm-hmm. it is six years old, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like, you're absolutely right. And it's and it's a it's a it's this combination of two things. And unfortunately, it's one more than the other. But it's a combination of there's just homophobia, mm-hmm. which is unfortunately the bigger issue. And it's also just like uh, an immaturity, like, oh, a, it's right. a whole. Oh, it's it's a Brokeback yeah. Mountain. Oh, two cowboys are gonna kiss. That's yes. all that movie got distilled down to. And or or uh, Outlander. Oh, is it actually just a romance? It just gets distilled down to like we can't grow up and get past the whole Fred Savage Princess Bride. Is this a kissing book? Oh situation. my goodness! Right. Yeah. Sorry, we will and tell you other, why we yeah, laugh right. just now. And the well, other thing is yeah. that obviously, you know, two gay cowboys makes all. Uh, an unfortunately large amount of that general yeah. population uncomfortable. Right. So that's a whole other episode. And then also, Which, like, sorry to you guys, I got some news for you about history and what cowboys <laughs> really got up to in real life. I'm not saying that she's the first to do this, sure. but Rebecca Weatherspoon wrote a romance novel centering a trans woman, and it was wonderful. And the character is mentioned in a previous trilogy, mm-hmm. but she centers her as being desirable by a, like, I mean, not just, okay, hold on. You're probably going to have to like edit me (laughs) muttering over myself. But the way she wrote that book, the dignity given to the characters, it was just, it was so good. And I know that we're going to get more. I know that there are other books written by non-binary authors. Mm-hmm. Um, I There's just so much in the romance genre that it's really hard to touch on everything. And it's it's so subversive in ways that it doesn't get credit for. Mm-hmm. And very, very random shout out to Chuck Tingle for writing these yes. goofiest books, but also getting the most respect from like every single romance author that I've ever heard of. Because- just... Oh my goodness. You, yeah. I have yet to come across a romance author who does not adore. <laughs> well, that's because Chuck Tingle is so uncompromising about, like, you will respect these other buckaroos, as he says, you know, like, this none of this gatekeeping, none of this, you will respect each other. Gosh dang it. Extraordinary, revolutionary, and marvelous all and- at once. Like they know these books know what they are, and yes. everyone knows what. But Chuck Tingle, um, which I believe Chuck Tingle is two authors that um, I don't believe they're they are one person. Don't um, ruin this for me, Rod. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know who they are, but I okay. I do think it's multiple authors, and they are such a huge advocate in the field yes. of like romance books, while also getting to write books like this. They're just amazing. I had is, to. 
is absurdist an okay word or is it something more um intellectualized than that is it <laughs> i think it's absurdism with a point yes. sure okay yeah yes. yeah sure. so it but it's also not satire but it almost is but this is very fascinating <laughs> i'm Chuck so glad Tingle coming in at the episode's <laughs> almost climax to like completely I, throw us off i had to throw that in that's amazing i'm not sorry <laughs> think about ruminate on this for a while sure. <laughs> um i think i think this has to become almost a monthly series i think there's just too much to talk about so we'll we'll have to we'll have to extraordinarily leave it right there <laughs> As we look at book covers for Gay T Rex Law Firm, subtitled Executive Boner. I mean, that's great, Chuck Tingle. Um, I didn't even get to, you know, but I think this is we we open up so many great points, and one of the most amazing points for me is especially this historical aspect, and I guess just making visible the same sex romances that did occur mm-hmm. that just aren't talked about, not yes. even the setting aside that this is a historical fiction. Right, right. Book. Well, and also right. just the idea as well of of queerness as a political orientation. So a trend that I'm really excited to start seeing is that I am seeing a lot more male-female romances with queer characters because, uh-huh. like, bisexual people exist. Sure. Yes. And, and, and that is so exciting mm-hmm. to me, like, on a, on a very personal level. And I think does... A, a great job of, of illustrating that like norms are not eternal norms are are something that we made up uh and that there are always people who've lived outside of them in their own ways and there are people who continue to and that's all mm-hmm. like there's this big continuity there and on the on the one hand like yeah love is love and simultaneously like i think romance as a genre is a a good way of saying like sure but it doesn't all look the same right and it doesn't all mean the same thing and exactly. it's not the same for everyone and it isn't and it shouldn't be hell yeah yep. yep i've been completely enlightened and now i want to read orion's novel i am so happy to hear this I, um, the end of the year is always like usually i spend just the month of december into january only yeah. reading romance novels yeah and i can't wait to go put a bunch of stuff on hold now yes That's great now See. you'd recommended that I think it's a trilogy by Hibbert. Is it Talia Hibbert? Yes, yes. the Brown Sisters trilogy, which is mm-hmm. very close to me as a person because sure. um, my last name is Brown. I have two sisters. My middle name is very close to Eve. I very, very much, like, I felt like she wrote that book and was just, like, looking me in the eye as she wrote it. And I was like, thanks. This is great. That's great. I need, um, I need recommendations for same-sex romance novels, too. Oh. So please let me know. Oh, sure. Um literally anything cat sebastian has ever written all right, all right um although i also highly recommend her regency imposter series which is men and women and non-binary folks and as well as kj charles who writes mostly same-sex couples mm-hmm. yeah um, this is all the good stuff rebecca weatherspoon writes lots of queer characters um in both same sex and you know not same sex relationships uh she does also have non-binary characters mm-hmm. she does not follow any rules and her books are very spicy wow. um oh also ali theron the magic in manhattan trilogy yes. uh i forgot to mention that but that is set in 1920s new york um with this sort of like scooby-doo gang that chases down these magical objects Love it. 
and it's also very gay. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. There's so many. We'll, we'll get you like a list after we're done. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Uh, you both have to come back on the podcast immediately. It's been a great episode. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Jeez. That was my chat with Roddy Brown and Mary Graham Hunter. Thanks again for being here, both of you. It was great. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was a blast. Uh, I feel like uh, if you are up for it, you should come back on multiple episodes, consecutive episodes, and continue bringing gentle schooling. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that would be so much fun. Because they're masters of the romance genre. You really showed me a lot today. Uh, So uh, thank you for listening to this episode of A Little Too Quiet. It is Ferndale Library Podcast, and it's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. And the music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician known as Zunset. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to ferndalefriends.org, or you could like like us, follow us, leave us a a five-star review maybe, uh, leave a comment. It'll help us find more listeners. If you know... uh, folks out there like me who need gentle schooling on romance novels maybe let them know about this episode or maybe share it to social media we'll be back next week with more thanks for listening